0: The, the companies that will stand the test of time don't start with a product and kind of work their way towards a purpose. They start with a purpose and work their way towards a product.
1: Welcome to Behind the Brands, presented by Neo. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As a co-founder of Skip the Dishes and Neo Financial, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. On this podcast, you'll get to meet the masterminds behind the brands we interact with every day and get a behind-the-scenes look at the what, the why, and the how from a leader's perspective. Let's get going. This week, I'm excited to introduce Derek Emsley, co-founder and CEO of Tentree, a clothing company making a difference. Derek has been on an earth-first mission since he was 16 years old, when he founded a tree planting company with his brother, Keelan, that focused on planting trees to create carbon offsets. They saw the impact trees could have on people's perspectives and in 2011, started Tentree. All of Tentree's products are ethically manufactured with the smallest environmental footprint possible, with the promise to plant 10 trees for every article of clothing sold. Since its inception, Tentree has planted over 50 million trees, removing millions of tons of CO2 from the atmosphere, lifting entire communities out of poverty and reforesting over 5,000 hectares of land with a goal of 1 billion trees planted by 2030. Welcome, Derek. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. So I want to start with some current events here. You just made top forty under forty. What does that mean to you? Does that does that title hold a lot to you, or is this something like, "Hey, I'm just heads down, focused on my business, and the awards will come and go as they do"? It's it's obviously a uh,
0: super big honor to kind of be recognized for that. And, you know, it's one of those things, I think, with any of those uh, sort of recognitions, you sort of feel a little like unworthy of it, or it feels like your name is the one that is being publicized when in reality, it should be like the hundreds of other people that have been a part of the process that that should be publicized instead. So for me, it Yeah, I'm very grateful and, Mm -hmm. and honored to be receiving it. Like at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, what, what I did. It's, if anything, I'm the least important person in everything that we're doing. It's our team. It's our, my co-founders. It's really like, and it's the impact we're trying to create. So I think it's, it's just a reflection of that.
1: I want to go back to the beginning of when Tentree first started up, because many of the listeners may not be familiar with the story. Tell us a little bit about the motivation behind starting 10 tree Uh, for
0: us we think of 10 tree as a tree planting company that sells apparel not an apparel business that plants trees i think if you just kind of go to the beginning Mm -hmm. that that is core to who we are as a business when i was in high school uh, we started a a tree planting company in the prairies where we planted one hundred fifty thousand trees on 640 acres of land and the idea was to sell carbon offsets it got us connected with this incredible network of global planting organizations that weren't just focused on the environmental side, but were also focused on the social impact, like mm-hmm. job creation, food security. What we found was, one, that this idea of the carbon offsetting business model wasn't ultimately viable, largely because you know the carbon offsetting world hadn't really developed the way it is maybe now or today. But also globally, these organizations couldn't grow and scale their model. Mm-hmm. And so... For us, the creation of Tentree was not about creating a apparel brand. For us, it was about creating a vehicle that allowed us to plant trees. And that vehicle was apparel. And I think what we've quickly realized was that more than that, our vehicle was the community that was built behind this apparel. And I think Hmm. for us, that's really core to who we are. Our our idea around sustainability was not this old way of looking at it, which was, you know, kind of disempowering the world's ending, the ice caps melting, it's the fires are burning. It was more about like, how can you as an individual have an impact? And how can you use those dollars as a consumer to actually create a positive impact? So it's not about, you know, green guilt or you know doing less or you need to be better it's about look at how you can have an impact through a single purchase mm-hmm.
1: when you look at that why is it so much more important to identify as a tree planting company that sells apparel versus a an apparel company that happens to plant trees like what what is the actual difference in terms of how you operate your business day to day
0: I mean, it guides every decision. It has led us down pathways that we likely would not have gone down had we been an apparel business that was utilizing tree planting as a marketing approach or using tree planting as a sort of way to acquire customers. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of goes to that idea of the start with why the idea or concept that the, the companies that will stand the test of time don't start with a product and kind of work their way towards a purpose. They start with a purpose and work their way towards a product. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea that, you know, Apple isn't an iPhone company. Apple's about sort of inspiring creativity and all these different and providing the tools to do it. You know, for us, our what is apparel, but it also means that our what could be anything our why is trees, Mm -hmm. how we accomplish our goals, our community. And really, we're looking for different ways every day to give them the opportunity to partake in making an impact.
1: I grew up in a small community in Saskatchewan as well. I've planted a few trees in my day, not hundreds of thousands. What did you learn that you've kind of taken with you as you've grown as a leader from those early days of actually planting the trees yourself?
0: Um, I would say the biggest one is probably resilience. And I think it's, you know, if you talk to any of the people that have done tree planting, and that maybe work for you now that are tree planters, they're like, everything's easy compared to tree planting, like, you know, (laughs) living in the bush, slamming a shovel into the ground, planting 1000s of trees a day. And, you know, living in a camp, like would it pushes you to realize is sort of like the resilience that you can have as an individual Mm -hmm. and and your ability to sort of push through challenging times or sort of those like mental barriers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super important when when you lean into that from, you know, an entrepreneurial standpoint. The media celebrates two points in the entrepreneurial journey. It celebrates the inception, this like moment of creation where like a light bulb turns on and, you know, things like that. And then it, it celebrates the exit. Mm-hmm. And there's a survivorship bias that comes with that. Mm-hmm. What you forget to talk about is this just middle period where it's just an absolute roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety and the stress and the resilience that's needed because when it's going well, you're waiting for things to go bad. And when it's going bad, you're just all hands on deck to try to make it go well. And you know, it's, it's really this entrepreneurial journey it's it's very reminiscent of, I believe, like the ups and downs and the highs and lows of working in the field, planting trees.
1: I think you're totally right. Like people will latch on to just the ones that survive. But at the end of the day, for every 10 tree, there's thousands of companies that don't make it. Why do you think 10 tree has made it that, you know, has made you guys different? Aside from the fact that you are incredibly purpose-driven, but are there any other things that you would attribute... Some of your success too as a business.
0: I, I think every every successful business has a healthy portion of luck involved in it. And and not just luck of, you know, like did enough things go right, but also, you know, circumstances, me as an individual, my ability to sort of take on and try like basically live on on like noodles and craft mac and cheese in my parents' basement. Mm-hmm for for a while while trying to create this business and knowing that I had you know weight something to fall back on and yeah. I could do that confidently and then as a result of that like our timing you know young guys trying to like just do something good over their skis at every point of the conversation not really knowing what the heck we were doing in the apparel space like a lot of people had faith and and supported us through that mm-hmm. I remember the first trade show we showed up at. We had like neon American apparel tank tops with tentry logos on them. And we didn't have a catalog. We didn't have a price sheet. We didn't have anything. And we showed up to a trade show and it was all outerwear. It was all fall product. And we didn't realize how seasons worked in apparel, like, but we still picked up 15, 20, 25 accounts because people were like, these guys don't know what the heck they're doing but we'll give them a shot. They seem like nice enough guys. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, our circumstances contributed, our timing contributed, you know, the support we had in the support systems around us Mm -hmm. to really allow us to thrive, definitely supported it as well.
1: I think a lot of people would look at what you've done and they would relate to the fact that, hey, they really care about the environment. They want to make an impact positively on fighting climate change. Not many people would make the leap to start their own tree planting company and then pivot that to a tree company that sells apparel. Many people would just go and say, hey, I'm going to go work for you know, an environmental agency or you know, a large company as a, an environmental specialist perhaps. Why did you go the entrepreneurial route? versus going and working for a large company that's already doing something like this
0: first off it would probably like the timing of when we started this we started the business in 2012 there the the conversation around sustainability and what that meant hadn't really developed into what it is today and so i think for us there was you know there there wasn't necessarily the opportunity to step into something that really like got us out of bed and excited Mm But the other thing is that we were fortunate that we just grew up in an environment where my father had been an entrepreneur and, and I got to sort of experience some of his highs and his lows and, you know, his learnings and teachings for me. And, and he just kind of always encouraged us to be like, you know, why, why don't you try and build something mm-hmm. see if you can turn this into something. So we tried and uh, it, luckily for us, it, it wasn't a total failure. <laughs>
1: But did, did it always feel like that? Like I, there's kind of always that feeling like you haven't quite made it yet. And when you think of what you've done so far, do you look at it and say, "Hey, we've we've this has been successful," or do you kind of always feel like you haven't quite made it yet?
0: Oh, entirely. I, I think it's a you, you've always got the sort of imposter syndrome of like day to day, like what the hell am I doing and like why am I the one that that is sort of getting to. Play this role. The other thing is, it's just it's the constant moving goalpost, mm-hmm. and and I think it's it's a function of a lot of entrepreneurs are very driven, very goal oriented people. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be always setting your sights on something further down the road because you're in an environment where you have to be pushing towards something. Mm-hmm. It's if you're trying to create a business that is just successful today, it probably won't be successful in five years or 10 years. So you have to be thinking further out. And, and so for us, I mean, for the first thing we, we were super excited about was we planted a million trees. And that for us was this like huge milestone. It took us, I think it took us well over a year to get there. And we had a big celebration. And I remember we took our entire team. Our team was like four people at the time. Out. Um, and we did, you know, there's a restaurant that had half price wine. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go and take everybody out. And then we, we decided, okay, this is going to be every million trees. And then it got to the point where that was happening every month. And we're like, okay, well, we can't do this any longer. But it's the same thing where, it's the same thing with like, our goal setting. We had, we had this like, big goal of a million trees. And mm-hmm. we thought, well, we, that'll be incredible if we get there. And then we got there way quicker than we thought. And then we said 10 million. And then 100. And then it's now a billion. And like, for us... The the goalposts move mm-hmm. every single time, yeah. Uh, and we're never we're never sort of happy with the past goal. And I think it's actually a challenge that we have that like I actually asked my team to challenge me on, which is mm-hmm. I don't do a good job of pausing and being and celebrating the hitting of one goal because I'm already on
1: to the next. What's your approach to finding talent? How do you bring in the the best of the best? it is a talent war it's a, like it is a crazy market i mean
0: just being in canada in in a market that is we're basically a 30 percent discount to everybody south of the border and you know we're operating in vancouver right now which is an incredibly challenging market for like a lot of people to even be able to afford a house mm-hmm. things like that we're, we're definitely dealing with that but i think you know, there, there's a few things. One is that we're fortunate that there's a bigger purpose behind what we're building. Mm-hmm. Like that's important to our team. Mm-hmm. If you're on the 10 tree team, you are there because not only do you want to be a part of building something special, but you also want to be a part of having a really meaningful impact. And so us instilling that in every sort of facet of the work that we do is critical to how we hire talent, how we retain talent, that sort of thing. So, I mean, specifically to the question of how do I go out and find talent and how do I try to find good people? It, it first and foremost just comes down to culture fit and and mission fit. What we found is if, if somebody believes in what we're doing, they will you know pour their heart and soul mm-hmm. into what we're building and skills you can learn, but really it's like we talked about that resilience, that idea of like finding the people that have that drive and are able to be resilient in the face of adversity because building anything is hard, mm-hmm. let alone building something in an environment like what we're dealing with through COVID and mm-hmm. you know climate change and everything like that is even harder. So you need people that have that, that sort of approach. Mm-hmm. And once you've got those, those great people, good experience, good talent or skill set, like they can learn it.
1: Okay, so here's a scenario. You've got someone who is a brilliant designer, brilliant marketer, brilliant at operations, but maybe not the best culture fit. On the other side of that, you've got someone who's an amazing culture fit, and maybe they're not brilliant at any of those things. Which person do you do you go with? I, I want to pretend
0: it's as easy as saying culture fit every time. <laughs> But I think that's, it's an oversimplification. Like naturally there are business needs and our impact comes from the success of the business. Mm-hmm. Our success of the business allows us to create more impact and yep. you know, continue to sort of create that flywheel. Mm-hmm. So we can't sit outright, say perfect culture fit, even if their skills suck, they're, they're gonna be the person. What I would say is maybe a flip to that is we will always have a place for somebody that is an incredible culture fit. Mm-hmm. When they're not a perfect culture Mm -hmm. fit, there's just a lot more homework that needs to be done. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more vetting and there's a lot more sort of questions that need to be answered of like, why is this where Mm -hmm. you want to be? Is this the right fit for you? Is this the right fit for us? Because I think one of the things that we've always believed within Tentry is that, you know, you're just as much as we're choosing to employ you, Mm -hmm. you're choosing to be here. It has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And we take a lot of time and care to really try to understand why somebody wants to be here. So I would say that like if they're not, if they're not outright the perfect culture fit, there's a lot more digging in that needs to happen.
1: Do you feel like that culture can also be learned on the fly? Or is it something kind of you're either a fit or you're not? No, I think it absolutely can be learned.
0: Like if there's a true inherent values disconnect, then it's not the right fit, and, and no matter how good their talent, you, it's it doesn't make sense. But I would say that that's a fairly rare circumstance. Like mm-hmm. nobody's out here just saying, like, I hate the environment. I actually enjoy burning down trees. Like, yeah. like, if they are, they're not coming to us, right? And so it's a relative scale. Yeah. So you know, it, oftentimes you'll have somebody that is so so passionate about what we're building, yeah. And maybe their skill set isn't perfect, but then you'll have somebody that's skill set is incredible or perfect, and maybe they're. They're not as passionate about what we're building, but they have to be open to being passionate Mm -hmm. about it. They have to be ready to enroll in the mission and what we're trying to create.
1: A lot of what I'm hearing some common words like mission and purpose and the why. And in 2012, when you started up, and you're not doing it for this reason, I know, but it certainly now is a lot more. There's a lot more companies that are thinking about the environment now. There's a lot more companies that are making investments. And it's kind of interesting because it's it's a very good thing. But in some ways, do you find that as more and more companies are now making these climate pledges, you guys have been doing this the whole time. Do you find that it's now more diluted and more competitive Mm. in terms of like, okay, well, now everyone's a mission-driven climate company and Tentree is just one of many that are doing it. Maybe you were the early on it uh, and it's more true, like you're more authentic on it. Have you found that it's actually made it harder to get your purpose out there or has it made it easier because now there's more awareness around it?
0: it's a double-edged sword. We don't have a monopoly on caring for the planet, nor should we. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, looking at the next 10, 20, 30 years, like tree isn't going to solve the climate crisis. We have, I believe, a very important part to play in it. But I also don't necessarily think that more people stepping in with a with an authentic approach is a bad thing. Where I think it gets challenging... Is where companies really are using it strictly as a marketing vehicle, but it's not—it's not actually true to who they are as a business. And mm-hmm. I think some of the best examples are like just wait till February here during the Super Bowl. You're going to see, you know, how many companies are going to have paid five million dollars for a thirty-second ad spot to talk about the three hundred thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars they're giving to a charity. This is sort of the disconnect that creates this level of like skepticism, I think, for, for consumers and for people all across the globe, which is to say, businesses that are strictly trying to value signal mm-hmm. and, and don't actually give a shit mm-hmm. are, are the ones that actually dilute the overall message. So I mean, if we take tree planting as an example, we've planted over 65 million trees since we started the business. And next year, we'll, we'll be far beyond 100 million. You know, for us, what we found was the challenge wasn't getting trees in the ground. The challenge was actually making sure that the trees were getting in the ground in an auditable, transparent way that was actually permanent and created a real meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. What we found was that, so we started investing time and resources and energy and traveling to these sites. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars every year going to these sites. And we actually built a technology to bring transparency to our tree planting. But what we've also seen is hundreds and hundreds of businesses Mm -hmm. have stepped into the tree planting conversation and and not really invested at all in that. They're like, I just want to be able to say I've planted this many trees or I've taken this many pounds of trash out of the water or this or that. So. I mean, what we recently did was we actually took this technology that we built called Veritree and we actually rolled it out into a separate business altogether to support other businesses in not just investing in tree planting, but doing it in a way that's actually authentic and transparent and has a real meaningful long-term impact.
1: Yeah. And I think that there is that risk that... You know, people who aren't as familiar with the Tentree brand will see some of the people who are maybe virtue signaling, they'll see Tentree and be like, oh, okay, well, they're just you know, trying to do this to sell more shirts. Other than the Super Bowl, what are some of the ways that consumers can spot a company that is legit versus a company that's just trying to virtue signal? You,
0: you know, I, I'm hesitant to, to try to kind of call out businesses or suggest that anybody that wants to do something is a bad thing mm-hmm. because you know at the end of the day the more people investing whether it's in tree planting sustainability efforts you know social causes it's good like yeah. at the end of the day the more the better mm-hmm. everybody's looking to create something tangible to say i did this mm-hmm. And where you can see when it's truly authentic is when they're not just saying, I did this, but they're actually looking for the outcome of doing that. Mm. They're actually not just invested in the initial press release, they're invested in the long-term benefits and outcomes mm-hmm. of the work that they're doing. So, you know, they're not just focused on taking one pound of trash out of the water. They're actually focused on the reclamation of the entire waterway. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the impact that that's having in the ecosystem. Like they're not just investing in a pride campaign when it's, when it's convenient, Mm -hmm. they're actually sort of engaging with the community and the, uh, you know, we see a lot of this, particularly with like indigenous uh, work in Canada, here. Mm -hmm. not just trying to use it for a press release, but actually be engaged and be thoughtful and actually focus on the long term. Mm
1: -hmm. Is there any times in your own journey as a leader where you've been like, man, this whole 10 trees thing is pretty tough. Like maybe we can go down to five or maybe we can go down to two or, you know what I mean? Like it, because it's difficult because you got to walk the talk all the time. And do you have any stories around that where you're like, we're going to have to maybe compromise on on our values or and, and then how did you stay true to it?
0: We, we've had a lot of those types of challenges. I think one of the things that that I, I've mentioned before that really led to our success early on, I think was just our, frankly, our lack of understanding of what the hell we were doing in this in the apparel space. Mm-hmm. And... But the, we also ran into a bunch of issues as a result of that. When we were creating product at the beginning, we, we didn't know a thing about sourcing sustainably.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we, we didn't know what the difference between cotton and organic cotton was. We never heard of recycled polyester. For us, we were just making product and, and the, our stance was that product led to trees planted. So we're sustainable. Uh, about three years in, somebody challenged us on it. They said, like, why aren't you guys making your products sustainably? And and we actually, like, stopped and listened. And we said, like, what does that mean? Like, we think we're, we, we're yeah. planting trees. We're we, Of course, we're sustainable. Yeah, we check the box. You know, they talked to us a little bit about this. And we said, you know what? You're right. Like, we're... It, it, like it doesn't matter if what, regardless of what the outcome is of planting trees, like if the vehicle that gets it there isn't good, isn't good for the environment, then you know what? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And so for us, we over the span of about eighteen months overhauled our supply chain from zero percent preferred materials to virtually, I think it was like ninety-eight percent sustainable materials. Like there's you know things like zippers and trims and stuff like that. It, it, like there's still a lot of challenges in some of those areas that. Mm-hmm. we're still focused on but we'd already committed to pricing with our end retailers mm-hmm. and we couldn't go back to them and say you know this is now $5 more yeah. because it's organic cotton yeah and so we just ate the entire margin impact of that uh, and and another example of it was one year we forecast a lot of our tree planting with all of our global partners at the beginning of the year and we grew by you know 50 60 70% one year and so you know thinking we're we're Excited about the future. We just think that's going to keep happening. And so we forecasted with our partners, we're going to grow by another 60, 70%. Yeah. And we actually grew by 20%. We realized like some of our infrastructure wasn't scaling the way it needed to. We had delays. And, and so we talked to them and we said, hey, like, we're not going to hit our numbers this year. Uh, you know, we actually need to plant you know, a million less trees. And they came back to us and they said, here's the impact it's gonna have on the communities uh, that, that we're, we're investing in the infrastructure with, we're employing. What we did was we actually front loaded that mm-hmm. and we spent the money to now from a balance or like an income statement, sure, maybe it's the next year, but when you're building a business, cash, is, cash flow is critical. And we basically had you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that were just locked up in tree planting that theoretically could have been financing the business. But mm-hmm. yeah, we, we've had tons of different uh, instances where you know we had to put values versus business on on sort of a measuring stick and decide which one we went with. And I would say I, I'm really proud, and, and I think our team would probably echo this: is that almost every time we pick, yeah. we pick uh, values.
1: I know that you probably would claim that. Hey, you're not the expert on it, but I think you guys do it extraordinarily well. What, it, what advice to other companies would you give or other leaders who wanting to stay true to their purpose, but they find themselves in a position where they're like, well, I'm not going to be, we're not going to plant any trees if we're out of business. What recommendation would you give them in terms of thinking through how to make those trade-offs and how to really look at them and, and say, hey, you know what, like we have to just do X or Y?
0: Yeah, I think for first and foremost, there needs to be goals in place and there needs to be a measuring stick for those goals. Because if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, whether that be related to carbon and emissions and climate or whether it be related to waste and things like that, if you don't have a measuring stick and you don't have goals, then you can't confidently say, is it a good decision or is it a bad decision? From from that standpoint, I think the next piece is you've got to be considerate of you should never be perfect nobody expects perfection if you claim perfection people expect perfection mm-hmm. and i've always believed that it, as a business like you need to live in the fallibility of we are doing our best and, and this doesn't mean that this is a license to do bad mm-hmm. but it's but you need to recognize that it's a transition and it's a journey and so understanding and living into that fallibility is critical And then the final thing I would just say is enrolling your supporters, your customers, your community, whatever it might be in the transition, in the journey. Because if people feel invested in that journey and you're open and transparent about both the wins and the challenges, and you haven't claimed that you're perfect and you haven't overstepped from like a communication standpoint, then people tend to be very forgiving and understanding of stumbles along the way
1: yeah, especially when you have such ambitious goals, too. And I think that's what is missing a little bit. Like do do you find that, in general, whether it's the media or the public at large, isn't forgiving enough for companies that are actually trying to to do good? There's a lot of things
0: going on in the media uh, and broadly speaking that make it kind of scary to to try to make claims because, you know it's but i think that's I, I think all of these things are sort of a a reaction to what we talked about before which is like the companies that are mm. saying they're doing great uh, that aren't really trying mm. and so people are reacting to that and mm. then so as a company that actually wants to try you're a little bit scared or anxious about sharing that message so yeah. i think to me it really just comes down to Coming from a place of fallibility mm-hmm. and authenticity, like if if this is authentic to your business, this isn't a one time thing hey, it's Earth day, we're going to plant some trees. it's like no, this is something that like we're committed to the climate, yeah. we understand the challenges we're facing from a macro scale, and this is our plan and how we're getting into it as long as it comes from an authentic place and then you're you're open and honest mm-hmm. about the steps you're taking and the ones that a maybe you can't afford yet, but or the or the missteps you take, I think
1: people are fairly understanding. Yeah, I think you you made a good point there, Derek. I want to touch on uh, COP twenty six. That's been something that's you know producing a lot of headlines. What are the signals that you're pulling out of some of the noise coming out of COP twenty six? I know that material sourcing has been under spotlight, incentivizing environmentally preferred materials. You know, recognizing the impact of fashion on the environment. What are some of the things that you've pulled out and, and what, you, what decisions are you making because of it? The most sort of like high level thousand
0: foot view is that we're coming up short. If there's, if there's one answer that's coming out of COP, it's like the IPCC has articulated these different sort of directions, one half degree of warming, two degrees and three degrees of warming. Right now, the, the outcome of COP, it's a, it's a good step, but, but it's not where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And so there's still a lot of work to do. And, and I've always been a big believer that business will and must play a huge role in the transition. It has to be. And I actually think what drives businesses to make change is consumers. Mm-hmm. I think to me, a lot of people, a lot of the environmental conversation has been accelerated because of the consumer. It might not be the consumer that gets to make the end decision, but voting with their wallet, choosing to support businesses that are thinking sustainably or acting appropriately. Mm -hmm. It's to me, what's driving the conversation right now,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: like youth activism, things like that. Our belief internally has been that just like with everything to do with climate change, it's all about transitions. We believe that there's a transition taking place within business models. If you look at the last, call it, you know, 100 years of capitalism, really this extractive business model was king, which is, you know, using resources to create profit. Resources are largely infinite in a lot of those conversations. And then the sustainability conversation became the focus, which was really more a recognition that resources aren't infinite. And how can we as a business utilize Mm -hmm. our resources better in the pursuit of profit. I think sustainability has transformed into this sort of circularity perspective, but ultimately the entire sustainability conversation has really been focused around this idea of how can we as business do less bad? (laughs) And I think the future of business is how can we do more good? And to us, that's that's the restorative business model. And I think you saw a huge conversation at COP about nature-based solutions, about mm-hmm. you know the need for restoration and restoring our ecosystems and, and the part that that has to play mm-hmm. in, in our decarbonization strategies. So to me, the future of business, A, it has to play a huge part in our decarbonization. Mm-hmm. Two, we need to understand our footprint. We need to reduce our footprint. We need to offset our footprint. But third, like the future of business isn't doing less bad. The future of business is doing more
1: good. I couldn't agree more with that, Derek. Well, one of the things, you, you've mentioned Elon Musk a couple times. And I think one of the things that he's done fairly well is he's brought awareness to the fact that electric car doesn't need to be you know an ugly, slow, only 50 kilometers of range thing. He's And it doesn't need to be something that's only for the rich and wealthy. He's bringing the cost down continuously. What he's... Getting to is that, hey, you don't need to choose an entirely different quality of life uh, in order to drive something that's good for the environment. So, how do you think about driving costs down so that a person who's like, hey, I'm going to, I want to do right by the environment, but I maybe can't afford to pay that premium?
0: Every approach to sustainability has had this at some point. Mm-hmm. Like electric cars are ugly looking hatchbacks that nobody wants to drive. Well, Tesla came out and showed it can be actually a better product mm-hmm. or a better vehicle and it can look great. Same thing with sustainable apparel. It, it hemp and organic cotton was scratchy and low quality and didn't wasn't durable. Like we've always believed that people will buy the product once because it plants trees, but if it's not a good product, they'll never come back. And so, brand can only sell the product for so long. The the product also has to sell the brand. You know, for us, mm-hmm. sustainability is is ultimately table stakes in the next five years. And what happens with that is naturally more demand creates more supply. And so right now what we're seeing is like, particularly in in our supply chain, organic cotton prices in the last 12 months went up almost almost 100%. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's because suddenly everybody's decided, okay, we need organic cotton and supply chains are challenging you're going to start to see some of this like greater adoption as more and more people come in. So I think you're you're going to see some like challenges in the early stage, but also you're going to see things level out in the years to come. The last point I would say though is is that I'm a big believer in businesses making it frictionless for a customer to choose sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like businesses must make a profit, all that sort of stuff, but it, th- there needs to be a greater onus on businesses to make it easy for their customers to help save the planet, mm-hmm. whether that be choosing a like a, a battery powered car, whether that be choosing a t-shirt that plants 10 trees or, you know, using like renewable energy on the grid. It's an imperative for businesses that if they really want to continue to attract customers and compete to differentiate themselves on making it easy for their customers to play a part Mm -hmm. in
1: being sustainable. Yeah, you can't focus on just their charity or them being perfectly aligned. We're heading into one of the busiest retail seasons of the year, Christmas Boxing Day. What message would you want to get out to consumers uh, at this time of the year? We're,
0: we're a product company. So I'm not gonna sit here and try to, try to pretend that like, you know, I'm trying to say, don't purchase product, don't do that. Like, I think at the end of the day, you know, we recognize what the holiday season can mean to mm-hmm. a retail business, to a product-driven business. Mm-hmm. We've always believed in creating an environment where if you don't need a product, you shouldn't be buying it. Yeah. But if you're going to buy a product, you might as well buy one that plants trees or gives back or does something good. This is always a big time of the year for us. Um, and and we're super fortunate that our supporters and our customers are willing to kind of put a 10 tree product, whether it's under the tree or that, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like we're super fortunate and grateful that our customers even consider us in that conversation. We're also always conscious of overconsumption. And so it's, yeah. you know, if you're going to buy, vote with your wallet think of think of where you're putting your dollars and hopefully do it responsibly.
1: You know, whatever I see a Ten Tree piece of apparel out there, uh, I see people in our office wearing them all the time, out on the street. I always have a huge sense of pride to see what you guys have built. I think what you're doing is amazing. I think it's an, you're setting the bar for other companies really high and I think it's something that other people should should strive to. I want to really thank you Derek for for taking the time. I'm really grateful for for you being here and sharing all this information and more of the behind the scenes of what you guys are about as a brand and how can people get in touch follow you guys what would you like to get out there?
0: You know, we're really focused on two things right now. We have Ten Tree which is our, you know, apparel business, like I said a tree planting company that sells apparel. You can find us at tentree.com. If what we're talking about on this restorative business model mm-hmm. resonates. Reach out to us on veritree.com. This is the business that we've rolled out to, you know, take what we've learned over the last, you know, 10 years of Tendree and and try to support other businesses in integrating authentic storytelling and meaningful, transparent, auditable impact into their business
1: maybe we can double click on that because i think there might be some people who want to know more about that can you just give a little bit more detail on Vera veritree just so cuz i think there are going to be a lot of companies that are interested in hearing about this over 10 years of
0: planting what we found was it wasn't challenging to just get trees in the ground that okay. wasn't the big that wasn't the most challenging part the challenging part for us was really how do we ensure that there's no double counting there's you know this running joke in tree planting that 100 million trees got bought and one got planted how do you make sure that it's permanent There's accountability and transparency, and there's auditable impact coming out of it. And so for us, we are making this claim at 10Tree that 10 trees were planted. We're not just saying we're donating a portion of proceeds. Mm -hmm. So we've got a more challenging position to make sure that we're auditing and and confirming the claims we're making. And so for us, Veritree was the solution we built for that. Veritree is a blockchain-based data collection platform that we've rolled out at, uh, right now, about five different countries. And by early part of next year, it'll probably be in about eight to nine different countries supporting global reforestation efforts and making sure that the data that is collected from the ground is delivered directly to the sponsors the tree planting is happening in a auditable way there's permanent impact and that we're supporting companies and actually delivering Mm -hmm. that storytelling to their end consumer so already you know we're partnered with an organization to actually create a tree planting credit card we're partnered with another organization to you know support them with actually rolling out tree planting to offset the emissions or remove the carbon of their web hosting platform, we're going to be launching some pretty exciting consumer business partnerships here in the new year and a handful of others.
1: That's amazing. And and if you want people to know more about that, uh, is it available on tentree.com or at Veritree.com? Derek, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jeff.